Let's read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. This is God's word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful for your Holy Spirit, and we're grateful that we get to be together as your church this morning. And we pray that you would just now bring all of those three things together as we study your word in the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, your people, we pray, and do us good for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let me begin with the elephant in the room this morning, if I can. And that is that these verses have a very exclusive audience. They address elders or pastors or church leaders. Uh, and so, obviously, you can sit there and think, well, <coughs> you can't leave now. All right. No, obviously you can sit there and you can think, well, this isn't relevant to me because I'm not an elder, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a church leader. And in fact, the irony of this morning is that Peter's away, uh, Matt's on kids' work, and so this ver these verses address me. So this morning, what you're going to get is the obvious first sign of madness as one talks to himself. Okay, these are verses that address elders, and yet... We don't just want to say, all right, well, you just go read it in your own time. Let's go straight to coffee. Uh, because there are many things that Peter wants the whole congregation to get from these verses. Because he wrote this particular section to be read out loud with the rest of his letter. So that the entire church, both the congregation and the elders, can digest these words, God's words, on the nature and the necessity of church leadership, pastoral ministry in the church. So let me encourage all of us, if I can. Although it's not immediately and directly relevant to you, please listen, because selfishly, uh, and it's always a little bit awkward to pe preach on pastoring because it can seem somewhat self-serving, uh, self uh, let me encourage you to listen because these verses inform how we should pray for our leaders, how you can encourage your leaders and how you can understand the role of leadership in the church so that, so that we have reasonable expectations, uh, and I'm all for that, and so that we, you might be able to better help us fulfill our task to serve you. So important stuff here. But also before we, um, before we dive in and see what Peter's got to say to us, just let me try and help you understand the flow of his thought, because I think if you get the flow of thought, you understand why he addresses elders, because it can somehow seem a little bit random, intentional. Well, just track with me his thought, because in verse 7, he begins with these words, doesn't he? Back in chapter 4, the end of all things is at hand. 
And then he goes on to speak about at the end of the time, as the day, uh, the end days draw near, and as we enter towards that time period where Christ is going to return, we need one another. He describes how we need the church. We need to serve one another, pray for one another, love one another, cover over one another's sins. uh, That if we, uh, if we're to stand firm and to live faithfully for Jesus, it requires us to to be together, to come together, to strengthen one another. Then, as Matt talked last week in verses 12 to 19, uh, Peter, like a good pastor, just again, for the last time in the book, really, I think, begins to or continues to prepare the church that he loves for suffering. He says, listen, don't be shocked when suffering comes upon you, uh, verse 12, because God has got good purposes and good intentions for that suffering. He's refining you. He's purifying you, verse 17. And so if you experience persecution and suffering, whether that be suffering for the sake of the gospel or, or suffering in, in general, entrust yourself to God, who is faithful to keep you. And then he addresses elders. And verse 1 is connected to all that has gone before from verse 7 with that word, so, that begins verse 1. So, it's a connecting word. So, therefore, in light of what I've just said about the end drawing near and the church being uh, subject and vulnerable to suffering, so then, in the midst of persecution... When the church is at its most vulnerable, when the church is under threat, when the church is confronted with difficulties and challenges that could make Christians lose their heads and wander from the faith like a straying sheep, so, elders, shepherd the flock. At the time that they need it the most, make sure you are shepherding the flock Towards the great shepherd, the chief shepherd that he talks about in verse 4, who will care for them. And that's what he's going to go on to talk about in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 5. So Peter wants his readers to see, he wants us to see this morning that Jesus, the chief shepherd, has not left his church to face persecution and wolves and sin and the world and the devil to ourselves. We're not left alone. In fact, he has graciously raised up leaders, given them to the church so that elders, faithful pastors might shepherd the people of God in their journey from exile to their heavenly home for all of the days that they live on this earth. And so he addresses elders and he tells us three things about the elders, the shepherds, the pastors. All of those words biblically are interchangeable. When you read pastor, shepherd, overseer, uh, all of those words biblically, they just, they interchange. So when I say pastors, I mean elders. When I say elders, I mean shepherds. When I say shepherds, I mean pastors. So if you hear the term, is he speaking about someone different this morning? Is that a different role? No, these are all interchangeable words in the New Testament for the leaders that God has given to his church. And Peter tells us three things. He tells us the elder's task, the elder's manner, and the elder's reward. And I borrowed those three headings from uh, Edmund Clowney, Juan Sanchez, and David Helm. In their commentaries, they all use those three headings. So no original thoughts here this morning. But let's begin with the elder's 
task, if I can. These three things we need to know. The elder's task. In verse 1, Peter issues this very personal appeal to elders in this church that he's writing to. And he appeals to them as a fellow elder because he wants to identify with them. And he wants to help them to see that he, he knows what it's like to be an elder. He understands the role and the challenges that they face as leaders in the church. And he also wants them to understand that he's not going to ask them to do anything that he himself isn't already doing. And he calls them in verse 2 very clearly with this outline of the text, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, shepherding in the Bible is a very rich metaphor for God's people who are identified as God's flock or God's sheep and God himself as the good shepherd, as the ultimate shepherd, as the chief shepherd. It's, it begins in as early as Genesis and it runs right throughout the Old Testament. It's deeply rooted in the Old Testament, this idea of God's people as his flock and God as the shepherd. But then when you add to that, Peter's own understanding of what Jesus said in John 10. Remember, uh, Jesus in John 10 calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And then he went on to talk about what that means and how Jesus calls his flock and he knows them by name and they hear his voice and they follow him. And he protects them and he feeds them and he keeps them. Peter had that in mind as he wrote these words. Then remember that Peter had an unforgettable breakfast with Jesus on the shore of the lake of uh, or the Sea of Galilee in John 21 where Jesus has risen from the dead and he calls Peter to himself and he restores Peter after Peter's denials and he recommissions Peter to be his servant with three times saying to him feed my sheep feed my sheep feed my Sheep. So Peter's got all of this information and stuff flowing around in his head. This Old Testament metaphor, the, the, the metaphor of perhaps Psalm 23 as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then he's heard Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. And then he's heard Jesus say, feed my sheep. And so he comes and he says to elders, shepherd the flock of God. God has entrusted certain men with the sacred task and responsibility of shepherding the flock. And notice it says, God's flock, the flock of God. So that means that the church doesn't belong to the pastor, nor does it belong to the members. It belongs to God. It's his flock. In chapter two, he's already told us that we are his precious people, his treasured possession. We belong to God. We're his flock. And in verse 18 of chapter one, he's told us that we were bought not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So the church, the flock of God is precious to him. And it doesn't belong to pastors. Pastors or elders are not CEOs or managing directors of businesses. They're not employees of the church. They're tasked by the, church, the chief shepherd with the privilege of caring for God's own people until he returns. And the task is outlined in those two words, shepherd and oversee. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, verse 2, exercising oversight. And all of those words, that shepherding and oversight just means feed the sheep, tend the sheep, care for the sheep, protect the sheep, love the sheep, care for the sheep, uh, <clears throat> guide the sheep, lead the sheep, pursue the sheep when they're lost and they're going astray. 
Look out over the flock. Know the flock. Discern the needs of the flock and respond accordingly. And central to the task of pastoring and shepherding and overseeing is, is feeding the flock. It's what shepherds do. They feed the flock. That's why the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me into green pastures. Why? So that he might feed his flock. And our responsibility is to feed you with the word of God. But also the the metaphor in Psalm 23 speaks about his rod and his staff. They comfort me. They guide me. They protect me. Uh, An element of the shepherd, a central element of the shepherd's task is to protect his flock from wolves from danger, from sin, from the world, from Satan, and from particularly in the New Testament, it's outlined from false teachers. And the shepherds, the elders, are charged to act on behalf of the chief shepherd for the spiritual well-being and the good of the flock that's been entrusted to them at all times. But Peter's emphasis here is especially, especially during the hard times and seasons of suffering and persecution. So that's our task. The task of the elder is to protect and feed and care for the sheep as Jesus would if he were here. Now he moves to the manner in which it is done because uh, the, the feeding and the shepherding and the care can is not one size fits all. It requires different uh, ways for different people. But Peter's focus then is on the manner, the elder's manner, because to embrace the example of Jesus Christ, to shepherd on behalf of the good shepherd, requires that we do it with the same manner as Jesus did. So the second point this morning, the elder's manner. Because of the sacredness of the task, elders need to be very careful about how they fulfill the role of the shepherd. And in verses 2 and 3, Peter highlights the manner that's required through three contrasts. He says, don't do this, do this. Not that, but this. Three times. Firstly, he says in verse 2, do it not under compulsion, but willingly. Do it willingly. Shepherds, those who are called to serve God's people, are not to do it out of obligation or out of duty or because they've got a gun to their back or to do it begrudgingly, but with wholehearted service, with a distinct joy and a gladness of the privilege of serving God in serving his people. And we're to do it willingly no matter what it might involve or what it might face. You see, Peter knew from first-hand experience that persecution and suffering and difficulties can discourage all of us. But even those called to lead God's people, he probably has in mind his own challenges on, around that charcoal fire in uh, John 18 and 19 where, where he follows Jesus after his arrest to the courtroom, uh, the courtyard of the, of the high priest, and he's challenged three times. You were with Jesus. He said, no, 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 I wasn't. Under the persecution and the suffering and the challenge of the world against Christians, it can make people, including elders, throw the towel in sometimes. It can erode the sense of wonder and the joy and honor of following Jesus and serving him and can cause us to be uh, burdened with a heavy weight that says, well, I don't want this anymore. Peter denied Jesus Christ under the weight of persecution and suffering, so he knew firsthand. But here he says, don't be like me. Don't do it under compulsion. Do it willingly. Do it as God would have you do it. 
Don't do it just because it's your job. Don't do it just because it's your, in your job description. Don't do it because of the expectations of your church. Don't do it because of the demands of others or because you're trying to keep up with other pastors or because you want a good reputation for yourself. Do it willingly, not begrudgingly, not out of obligation, not out of duty. Do it willingly. That means do it willingly in season and out of season when you're well received and when you're rejected. Do it when, um, <coughs> when there's times of prosperity in your church and times of adversity in your church. Do whatever best serves the flock and glorifies God and do it willingly. Just as the chief shepherd willingly laid down his life for the sheep. Then he says, do it eagerly. Verse Two, again, uh, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, just to say this, for elders to receive financial support for gospel work is not shameful. The, the New Testament is peppered and littered with many verses encouraging churches to support their elders financially. You find the teaching of, on the lips of Jesus and on the lips of Paul. So shameful gain is not just any gain. It's not just no pastor should be paid for his work. No, what Peter is concerned about here is shameful gain. That, that idea that Pastors and elders serve only for what they can get out of it. Only that the overriding motive and goal and reason for ministry is gain. Now that could be financial gain, obviously. He, he's, I think he would probably take a, a long uh, rant against prosperity teachers in this, in this uh, world. Those who prey on the poor and the weak and the vulnerable, who are getting rich off the gospel. Those who are asking for people to send money so that they can have private jets and private boats. That they see the gospel as just another way to climb the ladder of success. Now the temptation is there for all of us. Of course it is. We can minister seeing our churches as stepping stones to bigger and better opportunities, to bigger platforms, to bigger rewards, and we can become greedy. And so Peter warns us, he sees the temptation. But not just financial gain, it can be self-promotion, gaining reputation and fame and likes and followers and celebrity status, chasing book deals and conference speaking and and hoping that our podcast is the most popular on iTunes, uh, and seeking recognition and reward. It can be building one's own ministry by peddling grace at the expense of the church. So Peter says, don't do it for shameful gain. Don't do it for greed. Don't do it for earthly rewards. Don't do it for what you can get out of it. Don't use the ministry for your own advantage and betterment. Instead, do it eagerly. Recognizing it's not a job, it's a privilege. And that the congregation is there to be served, not to serve us. So he says, do it willingly, eagerly, and then by example. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, it is true to say that leaders have been given authority in the church to lead and to serve the church. But it's an authority that is delegated from the one who has all authority, Jesus Christ, who says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. But then he delegates it to, his, to the leaders he's given to the church so that they might serve the church. 
And it's a derived authority. It's not original with us. It's derived from the Scriptures. So any authority, any teaching must come from and through the Scriptures. It must be under the Scriptures. It must be in line with the Scriptures. And it must be subjected to the Scriptures and true to the Scriptures. That's where our authority comes from. It's not an authority that says, I am the boss and you are my minions. Although that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? No, it wouldn't be. It's not an authority that says, it's my way or the highway. It's not an authority that says, I can bully or boss or oppress those who are entrusted to me by God. Edmund Clowney, in his commentary on 1 Peter, says this. Hopefully it'll come up on the screen. The elder has authority. And he is called to exercise a shepherd's oversight. Christ, the chief shepherd, has called him to exercise a shepherd's care. But the shepherd is to understand he is not a stand-in for the Lord. He presents the word of the Lord, not his own decree. He enforces the will of the Lord, not his own wishes. For that reason, any undermining of the authority of Scripture turns church government into spiritual tyranny. If church governors add to or subtract from the word of God, they make themselves lords over the consciences of others. But far from being a lord or a master, the elder is to be an example. That is, he's to lead others in humble obedience to God by being himself humbly obedient to So we minister in the name of Jesus, according to the word of Jesus. It's a service in the church is ministerial. It's to minister to others, not imperial towards me, to build my own kingdom, to rule and to reign. It's ministerial, not imperial. And it's service that is done by example. It's an authority that is... Uh, exercised by service because this is how Jesus served. Remember Mark 10, verses 42 to 45, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them after they'd had a conversation about who's the greatest and who's going to sit here and who's going to sit there, Jesus said said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So eldership, leadership in the church is to be in the exact footsteps and model and example of Jesus Sacrificial, servant-hearted. Yes, it is a, it's a subtle blend of authority and care. It's both protection and nurture. It's both toughness at times and tenderness. It, requi- <coughs> Excuse me, it requires courage and comfort. But Peter's warning here is don't let the authority that God has given to elders be abused. Don't let power corrupt. We're so familiar with that in our politics and in the world of business. Power has the power to corrupt. But Peter says there should be none of that in the church. Emulate Jesus, 
whose humility and sacrificial service was the hallmark of godly leadership. He calls us shepherds, not cowboys. Although you might think I'm a bit of a cowboy. He calls us shepherds, not cowboys, because cowboys prod the cattle from behind and cajole them and drive them to wherever they want to go. But in the, in the ancient Near East, shepherds walked out in front calling the sheep to follow them over the ground that they had already walked. And that's the idea behind example. Let me call you over the ground that we have already walked so that we might lead you to green pastures and beside still waters so that you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, I read this verse, be an example to the flock, and I can think of countless ways in which that is not true. Countless ways in which my example is genuine but flawed. And Peter and Matt would say the same thing. Nobody is perfect. And so let me, just, let me just say, we are trying to be authentic and genuine in our example, but we recognize we are flawed. Sinners in need of a savior. The first thing that shepherds are before they're shepherds is they're needy sheep who need Jesus themselves. J.C. Ryle once said, the best of men are only men at their very best. And so the elders' manner, willingly, eagerly, by example. But it's not a job description as such. Those three things are an expression of God's heart towards his people. He wants his Shepherds to lead and guide and shepherd in this way because that's how he would do it himself if he were bodily present. But he works by his spirit in line with his word through his servants who are to serve willingly, eagerly, and by example. And those who serve in this way have a great promise held out to them. And that's our third point this morning, the elder's reward. The elders' reward. Now, in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, successful athletes or military victors would be rewarded with a laurel wreath, a crown that sat on their head made of leaves and flowers and whatnot. And Peter promises a crown to those who are faithful in their service to God. But it's not an earthly laurel wreath. It's not a crown of gold that withers and fades and discolors. He says it's an eternal crown of unfading glory. And he's holding out the reward to just encourage and motivate elders. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give in to the opposition and the persecution. The church needs you. And God will reward you. It's motivation. Not for earthly gains or earthly riches or earthly status, but for heavenly, eternal rewards. Now, I don't know what they are. I have no idea. Safe to say this, in, in Matthew 25, Jesus says to all faithful believers, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your reward. So we're all promised rewards for faithful service. It's not just that I'm special in a special category. We're all promised the, the rewards that come through faithful service. But perhaps Peter here is particularly just trying to encourage elders that your labor will be shown not to be in vain. 
He says, when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus himself, the victorious and exalted Lord, finally appears in all of his glory, perhaps it will be that we'll then see all of the sacrifice and all of the service and all of the proclamation of the gospel and everything that was done in the name of Jesus Christ will be worth it. Because we see him in his glory. And we realize it was true. And he is real. And he is glorious. But in that moment, earthly elders, I think, will join with the heavenly elders. Who are already now gathered around the throne. And here's what they do in Revelation chapter 4. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. And they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. So any crowns that we receive, you know what we do? We say, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and power and honor. By your power, you created all things. You're God, and I'm not. And our reward, as will be your reward, is to see him, to be with him, in his glory forever. And that is reward enough, isn't it? When you think about what we deserve because of our sins. So elders are to seek to serve faithfully and fulfill the task that God has called us to in the manner in which he calls us to do it for the eternal rewards that he promises. But one last thing. There's a fourth point in the text as well, and I just want to share that with you. Because we've talked about the elder's task and the elder's manner and the elder's reward. The fourth point is this, everyone else's response. In verse 5, Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves All of you, elders and flock, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter says, assuming that the elders are, by the grace of God, striving to be the leaders and the shepherds that Jesus calls them to be, then, in humility, everyone else should respond with a Humble, joyful, willing submission to follow. What do the sheep do? When there's a good shepherd, they follow. Humbly, submissively. In verse 5, it says younger. That, that doesn't get you off the hook because you're 70. Younger, I think, could mean, could mean younger. Could mean newer to the faith, assuming that the elders had been maturer. Could just be a, a sort of a, a play on words, elders, and those who are younger. That kind of idea of if you're not an elder, you're in the younger category. That's good news for you, isn't it, Sandra? <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> she knows I love her. I would say Pete, but he's not here. So, <laughs> not funny. Do you know what my kids said to me recently? They said, Dad, you're really funny when you preach, but not at home. Actually, I think you misunderstand. I'm funny all the time. (laughs) Anyway, I I digress. Uh, Peter encourages the church, all of us, submit. 
follow. Not into sin. Remember all of those qualifiers we put in in chapter 3 about submission to husbands and bosses and the government. Not when they lead us into sin. But it's a call. Don't chafe. If, it, if godly leadership is being exercised, it, don't chafe under it. We might not understand every decision that's made. We might not understand why a particular direction is taken. We might not even agree with the decisions or the direction that is taken. And that's not to say we're shut down all conversation because you must submit to your elders. No, we want to hear from you. We want Come and ask us why we make the decisions that we make. Come and offer feedback about things. Come and offer ideas. Talk to us. We are, we are called to show humility one to another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble in just the same way. But clothe ourselves with humility. Submit ourselves to faithful shepherds and follow them as they follow Christ. It's a sign of, of what Peter called us to in verse 19. Entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. One of the marks of that entrusting our souls to God is to entrust ourselves to the shepherds that he has given to us. So pray for us, encourage us, follow us as we follow Christ. Because the church under pressure, the church in the midst of persecution and suffering, a church that's going to seek to stand firm and live faithfully for Christ amidst a hostile world, it needs strong and courageous and willing and eager and humble faithful leaders. But it also needs strong and courageous and willing and eager and godly and humble church members who together follow the good shepherd who says, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. And the way that they have that is because I am the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Let's pray.